right, so this is going to be the chapter on waves and sound. So let's talk about it. So the MCAT looks at sinusoidal waves where they might be transverse or longitudinal. The individual particles oscillate back and forth with a displacement that follows a sinusoidal pattern. Transverse waves are those in which the direction of particle oscillation is perpendicular to the propagation, which is the movement of the wave. And so uh, longitudinal waves are the ones where the particles of the wave oscillate parallel to the direction of propagation, so the wave particles are oscillating in the direction of energy transfer. So sound waves are an example of longitudinal waves, and microwaves or x-rays are common examples of um, transverse waves. And uh, in this case, there are longitudinal waves that can be created through cycles of uh, compression and rarefaction or decompression along the direction of motion of the wave. And when we describe waves, um, there are some things to discuss. So the distance from one maximum or crest of the wave to the next is called the wavelength, um, denoted by lambda. The frequency f is the number of wavelengths passing a fixed point per second and is measured in hertz or cycles per second and from these two values you can calculate the propagation speed of a wave so nu equals f times lambda uh i'm sorry v equals f times lambda v is the propagation speed and if frequency defines the number of cycles per second then it's inverse or the period in capital t is the number of seconds per cycle so one over frequency it's also related to angular frequency, which is like a fancy W. It's measured in radians per second, and we use it for consideration of simple harmonic motion in springs and pendula. So it's equal to 2 pi f, it's equal to 2 pi over t. And then we have the uh, equilibrium position, where waves oscillate about a spent central point. The displacement in a wave describes how far a particular point on the wave is from the equilibrium position, which is a, expressed as a vector quantity. The maximum magnitude of displacement in a wave is called its amplitude. Uh, the amplitude is defined as the maximum displacement from the equilibrium position to the top of a crest or the bottom of a trough or trough. Not the total displacement between a crest and a trough, which would be double the amplitude. Uh, and when we analyze waves that are passing through the same space, we can describe how in-step or out-of-step they are by calculating the phase difference. Uh, so things that are in phase is if their respective crests and troughs coincide or line up with each other. And when waves are perfectly in phase, the phase difference is zero. But if the two waves travel through the same space in a way that the crests of one wave coincide with the troughs of the other, we would say that they are out of phase. And the phase difference would be one half of a wave. So that can be expressed as pi over two or as an angle, so 180 degrees. One cycle is one length, one wavelength, and that's 360. And when we talk about the principle of superposition, this states that when waves interact with each other, the displacement of the resultant wave at any point is the sum of the displacements of the two interacting waves. So when the waves are perfectly in phase, the displacements always add together, and the amplitude of the resultant is equal to the sum of the amplitudes of the two waves. So this is called constructive interference. And when they're perfectly out of phase, the displacements always counteract, and the amplitude of the resultant wave is the difference between the amplitudes of the interacting waves, which is called destructive interference. If waves are not perfectly in or out of phase with each other, they're par partially constructive or destructive. Uh, so there's that. And 
when we are talking about a moving wave, it's called a traveling wave. So a wave can form and travel or propagate toward a fixed end. When the wave reaches a fixed boundary, it's reflected and inverted. And if the free end is continuously moved up and down, then there will be two waves. So the original moving down toward the fixed end and the reflected wave moving away from the fixed end. And so that they will then interfere with each other. Um, now, if we consider where the both ends of something are fixed and the traveling waves are excited, certain wave frequencies will cause interference between the traveling wave and its reflected wave so that they form a waveform that appears to be stationary. So this is called uh, a fluctuation of amplitude at fixed points along the length of the string, known as standing waves. The points in the wave that remain at rest, where amplitude is constantly zero, are known as nodes, and points midway between the nodes fluctuate with maximum amplitude, and they're known as anti-nodes. So there's also resonance. So uh, for example, there are natural or resonant frequencies of objects. So any solid object when hit, struck, rubbed, or disturbed will begin to vibrate. Uh, blowing air pressure or tapping something are all examples of this. If the, national if the natural frequency is within the frequency detecting range of a human ear, the sound will be audible and the quality of the sound is called timbre and is determined by the natural frequency or frequencies of the object. Some objects vibrate as, at a single frequency producing a pure tone and others vibrate at multiple that have no relation to one another. Uh, these objects produce sounds that we don't find particularly musical, so uh, these are called noise and other objects vibrate at multiple natural frequencies so a fundamental pitch and a multiple overtones that are related to each other by number, full number ratios, producing a richer, more full tone. And the frequencies between 20 and 20,000 hertz are generally audible to healthy young adults and high frequency hearing declines with age. Uh, the natural frequency of most objects can be changed by changing some aspect of the object, object itself. If a periodically varying force is applied to a system, the system will then be driven at a frequency equal to the frequency of the force, known as force oscillation. Uh, and if the frequency of the applied force is close to that of the natural frequency of the system, then the amplitude of oscillation becomes much larger. Uh, the amplitude is increasing because the force frequency is nearly identical to the swing's natural frequency. And if the frequency of the periodic force is equal to a natural or resonant frequency of the system, then the system is said to be resonating and the amplitude of the oscillation is at a maximum. If the oscillating system were frictionless, then the periodically varying force would continually add energy to the system and the amplitude would increase indefinitely. But no system is completely frictionless, so there is always some damping which results in a finite amplitude of oscillation. So damping or attenuation is a decrease in the amplitude of a wave caused by an applied or non-conservative force. And a lot of objects can't even withstand the strong amplitude of oscillation and they'll break or they'll crumble. Then we have sound. It's a longitudinal wave transmitted by the oscillation of particles in a deformable medium. It can travel through solids, liquids, gases, but not in a vacuum. And the speed of sound is given by the equation V equals square root of V over uh, rho. V is the bulk modulus, a measure of the medium's resistance to compression, so it increases from gas to liquid to solid. And rho is the density of the medium. And because the bulk modulus increases disproportionately more than density as one goes from gas to liquid to solid, sound travels fastest through a solid and slowest through a gas. Uh, sound is produced by the mechanical disturbance of particles in a material along the sound's wave direction of propagation. And although the particles themselves do not travel along the wave, they vibrate or they oscillate about an equilibrium position, which causes small regions of compression to alternate with small regions of rarefaction or decompression. And these alternating regions of increase and decrease particle density travel through the material, allowing the sound wave to propagate. 
The source of any sound is ultimately a mechanical vibration of some frequency, so this can be produced by the vibration of solid objects or fluids or gases. Uh, the pitch can be determined by the length of the air column, which can be changed either by covering holes or changing the length. And then uh, there's also the human voice as a form of a musical instrument. Uh, we've discussed frequency as the rate at which a particle or wave completes a cycle, so our perception of the frequency of sound is called the pitch. Lower frequency sounds have lower pitch, and higher frequency sounds have higher pitch. Uh, some sound waves with frequencies below 20 hertz are called infrasonic, and those above 20,000 are ultrasonic. So dog whistles are between 20 and 22 kilohertz, and then medical ultrasound machines um, emit frequencies in excess of 2 gamma hertz. And then when we talk about the Doppler effect, uh, it describes the difference between the actual frequency of a sound and its perceived frequency when the source of the sound and the sound detector are moving relative to one another. So if the source and the detector are moving toward each other, the perceived frequency F apostrophe is greater than the actual frequency of F. If the source and detector are moving away from each other, then the perceived frequency is less than the actual frequency. So the equation is F apostrophe equals F times v plus or minus vd over v uh, plus or minus vs. So f for apostrophe is the perceived uh, frequency, f is the actual emitted, v is the speed of sound in the medium, vd is the speed of the detector, and vs is the speed of the source. So um, the upper sign should be used when the detector or source is moving forward. So there's a plus on the top and a minus on the bottom, and the lower sign should be used when the detector or source is moving away from its the other object, so that's a minus on the top and a plus on the bottom. Okay, so then we talk about Okay, well, there's a lot more discussed about the Doppler effect, but basically, um, if we think about a car, the sound waves in front of a moving object is being compressed, and the sound waves behind the object are stretched out, um, the black arrow is indicating that the direction of motion for the car in, uh, is going forwards, and in front of the car, crests of the sound waves are compressed together, increasing the frequency or pitch, and behind the car, the crests of the sound waves are stretched apart, decreasing the frequency. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Ooh, let me drink some water. Okay, so the Doppler effect can be used by animals through the process of echolocation. So the animal emitting the sound serves as both the source and the detector. The sound bounces off a surface and is reflected back to the animal. And how long it takes for the sound to return and the change in frequency can be used to determine the position of objects in the environment and the speed at which they are moving. Then we're going to talk about shock waves. So, uh, In a special case of the Doppler effect, an object that is producing sound while traveling at or above the speed of sound allows wave fronts to build up upon one another at the front of the object. So this creates a much larger amplitude at that point, and because amplitude for sound waves is related to the degree of compression of the medium, this creates a large pressure differential or pressure gradient. So this highly condensed wave front is called a shock wave, and it can cause physical disturbances as it passes through other objects. The passing of a shock wave creates very high pressure, followed by very low pressure, which is responsible for the phenomenon known as a sonic boom. A sonic boom can be heard at any time that an object is traveling at or faster than the speed of sound, passing a detector, not just at the point that the speed of sound is exceeded, which is known as Mach 1. 
And once an object moves faster than the speed of sound, some of the effects of the shock waves are mitigated because all the wave fronts will trail behind the object, destructively interfering with each other. The loudness or volume of a sound is the way that we perceive its intensity, so it's subjective, depending not only on brain function, but physical factors, so like obstruction of the ear canal, stiffening of the ossicles, damage to cochlear hair cells by exposure to loud noises or with age. And then sound intensity is objectively measurable, so intensity is the average rate of energy transfer per area across a surface that is perpendicular to the wave. So intensity is the power transported per unit area, and those SI units are watts per square meter, and intensity is calculating using the equation I equals PA, P is power, A is area. And if we rearrange this, we can consider that the power delivered across a surface, such as the tympanic membrane or eardrum, is equal to the product of the intensity and the surface area, assuming that the intensity is uniformly distributed. And the amplitude of a sound wave and its intensity are also related to each other, so intensity is proportional to the square of the amplitude, so doubling the amplitude produces a sound wave that has four times the intensity. And intensity is also related to the distance from the source of the sound wave, so as sound waves emanate outward from their source, the waves are pushing against the interior wall of an ever-expanding spherical balloon, and the surface area is increasing as a function of the square of the radius, so sound waves transmit their power over larger and larger areas the farther from the source that they travel. And intensity is inversely proportional to the square of the distance from the source, so if a sound wave has traveled two meters from their source, they have spread their energy out over a surface area that's four times larger than that uh, for identical sound waves that have traveled one meter from their source. And the sound, the softest sound that the average human ear can hear has an intensity equal to about one times 10 to the negative 12 watts per meter squared. And the mechanical disturbance associated with the threshold of hearing is pretty small, so the displacement of air particles is on the one on the order of one billionth of a centimeter, and at the other end, the intensity of the sound at the threshold of pain is 10 watts per meter square, and the intensity that causes instant perforation of the eardrum is 1 times 10 to the fourth watts per meter squared. To make this range easier to work with, we use a logarithmic scale, so this is called the sound level beta, measured in decibels, so D capital B, and beta equals 10 log I over I naught, where I is the intensity of the sound wave, I naught is the threshold of hearing, uh, which is used as a reference intensity. And when the intensity of a sound is changed by some factor, then one can calculate the new sound level by using the equation beta f equals beta i plus 10 log i f over i i. And i f over i i is the ratio of the final intensity to the initial. And yeah. Then we're going to talk about attenuation. So sound is not transmitted undiminished. So even after the decrease in intensity associated with distance, the real-world measurements of sound will be lower than those expected from calculations as a result of damping or attenuations. Oscillations are a form of repeated linear motion, so sound is subject to the same non-conservative forces as any other system, like friction, air resistance, and viscous drag. So the presence of a non-conservative force causes the system to decrease in amplitude during each oscillation, and because amplitude, intensity, and sound level are related, there's a corresponding gradual loss of sound. And damping does not have an effect on the frequency of the wave. The pitch will not change, but this phenomenon, along with reflection, explains why it's a lot more difficult to hear in a confined or cluttered space than in an empty room, because friction from the surfaces of the objects in the room usually decrease the sound wave's amplitudes, and over small distances, attenuation is usually negligible. Then we have beat frequency, so sound volume can vary periodically due to interference effects, so when two sounds of slightly different frequencies are produced in proximity, like when you're tuning two instruments next to each other, the volume will vary at a rate based on the difference between the two pitches being produced, and the frequency of this periodic increase in volume can be calculated by the equation F beat equals absolute value of F1 minus F2. F1 and F2 are the frequencies that are close in pitch, and F beat is the resulting beat frequency. So then we'll talk about standing waves. They're produced by the constructive and destructive interference of a traveling wave and its reflected wave. So they're 
going to form whenever two waves of the same frequency traveling in opposite directions interfere with one another as they travel through the same medium. They appear to be standing still, so not propagating because the interference of the wave and its reflected wave produce a resultant that only fluctuates in amplitude. Uh, but as the waves move in opposite directions, they interfere to produce a new wave pattern characterized by alternating points of maximum displacement or amplitude and points of no displacement. The points in a standing wave that have no fluctuation in displacement are called nodes, and those with maximum fluctuation are called anti-nodes. So, not every frequency of traveling wave will result in standing wave formation. The length of the medium dictates the wavelengths, and by extension, the frequencies of traveling waves that can establish the standing waves. Uh, so, objects that support standing waves have boundaries at both ends. Closed boundaries are those that do not allow oscillation and that correspond to nodes, and the closed end... And then open boundaries are uh, those that allow maximum oscillation and correspond to anti-nodes. So if we think about strings uh, fixed rigidly at both ends, it's immobile at those points, and those are considered nodes. If a standing wave is set up such that there's only one anti-node between the two nodes at the end, the length of the string corresponds to one half the wavelength of the standing wave. And because on a sine wave, the distance from one node to the node uh, next is one half of a wavelength, that's how that works, and if a standing wave is set up so that there are two anti-nodes between the ends, there must be a third node between them. And the length of the string corresponds to the wavelength of this standing wave. So the distance on a sine wave uh, from a node to the second consecutive node is exactly one wavelength. So this suggests that the length L of a string must be equal to some multiple of half wavelengths. So L equals half, lambda over 2, 2 lambda over 2, 3 lambda over 2, and so on. The equation that relates lambda of a standing wave and the length of a string that supports this is lambda equals 2L over N and is a positive non-zero integer, so 1, 2, 3, and so on, called the harmonic. The harmonic corresponds to the number of half wavelengths supported by the string, and from this relationship that F equals V over lambda, where V is the wave speed, the possible frequencies are F equals NB over 2L. The lowest frequency or longest wavelength of a standing wave that can be supported in a given length of string is known as the fundamental frequency or first harmonic. And the frequency of the standing wave given by n equals 2 is known as the first overtone or the second harmonic. The standing wave has one half the wavelength and twice the frequency of the first harmonic. And the frequency of the standing wave given by n equals 3 is known as the second overtone or third harmonic, yada yada yada. And all the possible frequencies that the string can support form its harmonic series. Next we'll talk about open pipes. So pipes can support standing waves and produce sound as well. Uh, pipes are open up that are open at both ends are called open pipes, while those that are closed at one end and open at the other are called closed pipes. So the flute functions as an open pipe instrument, while the clarinet and brass instruments are closed pipe instruments. Uh, an open pipe being open at both ends has anti-nodes at both ends, and if a standing wave is set up such that there is only one node between the two anti-nodes at the ends, the length of the pipe corresponds to one half the wavelength of this standing node wave. Um, similar to a string, except that the ends uh, are both anti-nodes instead of nodes, and in the case of a closed pipe, the closed end will correspond to a node, and the open end will correspond to an anti-node. The first harmonic in a closed pipe consists of only the node at the closed end and the anti-node at the open end. In a sinusoidal wave, the distance from a node to the following anti-node is one quarter of a wavelength. So unlike strings or open pipes, the harmonic in a closed pipe is equal to the number of quarter wavelengths uh, supported by the pipe. So because the closed end must always have a node and the open end must always have an anti-node, there can only be odd harmonics, because an even number of quarter wavelengths would be an integer number of half wavelengths, which would necessarily have either two nodes or two anti-nodes at the end. So the equation that relates the wavelength of a standing wave and the length of a closed pipe that supports it is lambda equals 4L over N, where N can only be odd integers, so 1, 3, 5, and so on. And the frequency of the standing wave in a closed pipe is F equals NB over 4L. 
And I don't know if I said this, but the relationship between the wavelength of a standing wave and the length L of an open pipe that supports it is lambda equals 2L over N, and the possible frequencies are NV over 2L, just like a string. Okay, so finally we'll end with the ultrasound. So it uses high-frequency sound waves outside the range of the human hearing to compare the Relative densities of tissues in the body, it consists of a transmitter that generates a pressure gradient, which also functions as a receiver that processes the reflected sound. And because the speed of the wave and travel time is known, the machine can generate a graphical representation of borders and edges within the body by calculating the, trans the traversed distance. So it ultimately relies on reflection, so an interface between two objects is necessary to visualize anything. And... Doppler ultrasound is used to determine the flow of blood between within the body by detecting the frequency shift that is associated with the movement toward or away from the receiver. And they can also be used therapeutically. So they can create friction and heat when they act on tissues and that can increase blood flow to a site of injury or deep tissue uh, and promote faster healing. Focused ultrasound also has a range of applications. So using a parabolic mirror that causes constructive interference at the focal point of the mirror and this creates a high energy wave, which can be used to non-invasively break up a kidney stone or ablate uh, small tumors. And they can be used for dental cleaning and destruction of cataracts. So yeah, we'll end with our long concept summary. So transverse waves have oscillations of wave particles perpendicular to the direction of wave propagation. So the wave or electromagnetic waves. Longitudinal waves have oscillations of wave particles parallel to the direction of wave propagation, so sound waves. Displacement is x in a wave, and it refers to how far a point is from the equilibrium position expressed as a vector quantity. The amplitude a of a wave is the magnitude of its maximal displacement. The maximum point of a wave, or the point of most positive displacement, is the crest, and the negative displacement is called the trough, or the minimum point. The wavelength lambda is the distance between two crests or two troughs, and the frequency f is the number of cycles it makes per second, and it's expressed in hertz. The angular frequency, fancy w, is another way of expressing frequency and is expressed in radians per second, and the period t of a wave is the number of seconds it takes to complete a cycle, so it's the inverse of frequency. Interference talks about the ways that waves interact in a space to form a resultant wave, so constructive occurs when waves are exactly in phase. The amplitude of the resultant wave is equal to the sum of the amplitudes of the two interfering waves, and destructive occurs when waves are exactly out of phase, and the amplitude is the difference in amplitude between the two interfering waves. And then there's partially constructive and destructive, which occurs when two waves are not quite perfectly in or out of phase with each other. The displacement of the resultant wave is equal to the sum of the displacements of the two interfering waves. Then we have traveling waves, which are continuously shifting points of maximum and minimum displacement, and standing waves that are produced by the constructive and destructive interference of two waves with the same frequency, traveling in opposite directions in the same space. Antinodes are points of maximum oscillation, and nodes are points where there is no oscillation. Resonance is the increase in amplitude that occurs when a periodic force is applied at the natural or resonant frequency of an object, and damping is the decrease in amplitude caused by an applied or non-conservative force. Then we talk about sound, so it's produced by mechanical disturbance of a material that creates an oscillation of the molecules in the material. It propagates through all forms of matter, but not a vacuum, and it propagates fastest through solids, then liquids, then gases, and without a medium, within a medium, the density increases and the speed of sound decreases. The pitch of a sound is related to its frequency, and the Doppler effect is a shift in the perceived frequency of a sound compared to the actual frequency of the emitted sound when the source of the sound and its detector are moving relative to one another. So the apparent frequency will be higher than the emitted frequency when the source and detector are moving toward each other. The apparent frequency will be lower when the source and direct detector are moving away, and the apparent frequency can be higher, lower, or equal to when they're both moving in the same direction, depending on the relative speeds. And when the source is moving at or above the speed of sound, shock waves or sonic booms can form. The loudness or volume of a sound is called the sound level and it's related to its intensity and intensity is related to a wave's amplitude and it can decrease over distance and some energy will be lost due to attenuation or dampening from 
frictional forces or damping, sorry. Then finally, we're gonna talk about pipes. So strings and open pipes are open at both ends and they support standing waves and the length of the string or the pipe is equal to some multiple of half wavelengths, whereas closed pipes are closed at one end and they support standing waves and the length of the pipe is equal to some odd multiple of quarter wavelengths. Sound is used medically in ultrasound machines for both imaging, diagnostic purposes, and then their treatment or therapeutic purposes. So that's all for waves and sounds. Uh, see you in the next one where we talk about light and optics. I think that'll be the last like physics e topic. So bye bye.